1: You know, one of the great highlights of uh, coming in here every night and doing this show, and while it's a great deal of fun, you know, it is hard work, but one of the things that I most enjoy about coming in here in the middle of the night and being part of my show prep, you know, for, for preparing to try to entertain you for four hours is the ability to joke around, chat with, catch up with my friend Dominic Carter. If you're not familiar with Dominic Carter, shame on you. He's a veteran broadcast journalist, uh, someone I've known for almost a quarter century, and really one of the best in the business also uh, is on every night on WABC New York from midnight to one, except on Sunday nights he gives us an extra hour. And here, I thought we were friends... And here we go back a long ways. And yet, Dominic, take a look at the label that's on the right headphone that you are currently using. Your other right. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> And can we turn Dominic's mic on as well? Uh-oh. You're using my headphones, dude. I didn't, I didn't know they were your headphones. <laughs> well, was it the Frank that gave it away? Or <laughs> was
2: it? Did, did I'm, you not I'm realize? trying to stay up on Twitter. I'm trying oh, to respond. Boy.
1: I'm sorry. Man, You for a guy that criticizes my taking things out of the refrigerator that are unlabeled, here's something that is labeled in black and white. I'm, I'm sorry.
2: I'm sorry. I didn't see the label. All right. Okay, Sorry, we'll cut you some
1: slack. We'll cut you some slack uh, on this one. It's okay. It's all right. If it was anybody else, forget about just, it. I would be just don't take food out of the fridge, <laughs> please. Uh, you know they. Well, well all right. We'll, we'll save that. We'll save that discussion for okay. another day. Okay. A couple of things that I want to uh, pick your brain on. One, I have been on a mission on this show to try to get people out of their bubble. One of the things that I think is the worst thing for society in America, and maybe in the world, but certainly most of my observation is in this country— is American tribalism and groupthink. We have this situation where if you're conservative, you surround yourself with conservatives, you only consume conservative media outlets, you get get fed a steady diet of things that never challenge your worldview. Same if you're a Democrat. And same thing if you're not political. If you're a Met fan, forget about, you know, even even hearing any Yankee-related news. If you're someone that uh, lives on reality TV shows, you're not even going to know what's going on on the moon these days and that's one of the reasons why i think shows that have varying opinions are the best thing to get people to hear a differing perspective you did a terrific show on saturday with our colleague anthony weiner on left versus right i'm wondering i mean at times it sounded like you guys did get pretty heated but neither one of you really lost your cool too much Let me ask you, though, give folks listening some tips on how to do that in their own lives, whether they're at Thanksgiving, whether they're at the Easter table, and they're with a relative or a friend that they agree with on nothing. How do you manage to maintain a relationship while disagreeing respectfully? It's real simple.
2: Put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm -hmm. That's what I try and do on everything. And you can't just automatically assume it's your way or the highway, that you're a thousand percent correct. You may be, you may be, but listen to the other person or, or pretend to listen, listen for a little while, what I try and do, what you and I do. By the way, you got a haircut, nice haircut. Yeah,
1: yeah I see you got a shave.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna bust your chops here. Uh-huh, You've you been, been been to a black barbershop? you know. <laughs> many <laughs> you know? times. That's <laughs> the kind of hair <laughs> I have. That's, 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 you know, yeah. oh, many oh, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see that. See, I can recognize a cut. I I bet. See, you. I see, bet. See, see, I bet. Anyway, I don't mean to get to get off topic, but we, you know, our country is so polarized. And we, we have to stop, at least listen to the other person, at
1: least listen. Obviously, I recognize on radio there's an element of theater and there's an element of uh, playing to what maybe some people want to hear. I think everybody that's on radio does that, at least maybe a little bit. When you
2: are, in I don't think you do it, and well, I don't. Do well, I it. appreciate
1: that. Well, so when you're in verbal fisticuffs with somebody like Anthony Weiner, who can be, you know, and I've had him on the show, and I, I think, you know, I consider him a friend. He's a uh, good guy. Um, when you're doing verbal combat with Anthony Weiner, is there a part of you that is prepared to be convinced? That you might have been wrong with your initial position. Can you be open-minded enough to say, "All right, well, you've convinced me. Okay, that guy's I'm, right." I'm
2: open-minded enough to know that when I'm appearing with Weiner as a former congressman, that he's going to argue his points and he's not going to give any concession. Uh, that that's what members of Congress do. They're very. They don't give concession. So when I'm debating a Weiner. It's just a matter of stating your point of view and letting the public decide. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to convince him. To,
1: to come around,
2: if he made a strong argument, I would come around and, and say. And I
1: think that's important advice for people in their own life, right? Mm-hmm. They shouldn't show up to Palm Sunday dinner or Easter Sunday and say whatever they want to say. You know, Joe Biden is, uh, you know, is is the, is the worst president since uh, James Buchanan, and then stick their fingers in their ears and right. go, "No, no, no, I don't want to hear anything you say." I just
2: have one rule with the holidays. I don't know what your rules are. You're probably different. My rule is, on the holidays, I don't want to talk politics. I don't want to talk Biden. I don't want to talk Trump. This is what I do for a living. I don't want to talk about it in the cab. I don't want to talk about it in the barber's chair. When I'm in the barber's chair, cut my hair, let me go to sleep, wake me up when you're done, and that's that. I do not want to talk politics when I'm not working. You
1: know, I have a similar rule, but it's for a different reason, right? Because chances are, whatever I'm being asked about, I've spent— Five hours talking about on the radio, (laughs) and I find it so insulting that someone has chosen because they're too busy or not awake or whatever to not listen to my five hours of nuanced commentary that I've worked hard on preparing for and delivering. And now, because you didn't listen, and I happen to be in front of you, you want to say to me, "Hey, uh, who's going to be Trump's running mate?" (laughs) Hey, hey, uh, you
2: know, and they uh, don't understand that we get that question about twenty times a day. Exactly.
1: Okay, and so 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 that the public knows
2: when when you ask me these questions, Frank, what I'm actually uh, stating to myself, and I may not say it, I may be smiling just listening to you, but what I'm stating to myself is, you do realize I get paid right, exactly. to give my professional opinion.
1: You know, I don't know how much um, Curb Your Enthusiasm you watch, but there's this, bit, there's this one bit. episode It's years years back, years back. It's it, Maybe even 10 years back. I
2: mean, what's the lead character on that? Larry trilogy? David. Yes, yes, yes. So, his, his, his personality is hit always, this, So know. there's
1: one episode where he's in a locker room at a gym or something, and he's got, I don't know, an itch or a pain in his shoulder, and he comes across a doctor in the locker room, and he starts asking the doctor about whatever the pain in his shoulder. Right. And um, and he says, "What do you do for a living?" And uh, Larry David says, "Well, I'm a writer." He says, "How about you just write me a whole bunch of blank for free?" Right. <laughs> right.
2: <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> right. And that's that's right. How it that's is for that's us. exactly what it's like. All right, I
1: want to ask you about a couple what of things. What do
2: you think about Trump? Yeah. What, uh, what do you think? Trump can't win, can yeah, he? Yeah, let me uh, get let me get uh, my notes. Let me get
1: my notes. <laughs> while I'm at it, let me While, while I'm
2: eating my sandwich <laughs> yeah, exactly. and I'm trying to exhale and catch my breath for 5 seconds, I don't want to talk about Trump.
1: Yeah, while I'm at it, let me tell you my views on aliens <laughs> and everything else we do on this show. The JFK assassination. <laughs> hey, um on a much more serious note, people okay. that listen to your show are aware that uh one of the things in your opening montage is the TV star, Wendy Williams, saying, we've got Dominic Carter, everybody. And Wendy Williams was at the top of the daytime TV game for 14 years. You've been in TV in prime time for, and you know, at the top of your game for a long time, you know how difficult it is not only to get to the number one spot, but to have that kind of longevity. A lot of people can get to number one Mm -hmm. to stay there for over a decade. That's something relatively few people can do. Now that, and that was after she had an incredible career in radio as well. And you know how difficult that is to do yes. this uh, tr- double threat radio and television impossible. Concept. Now, even though she's only 59 years old, she's been diagnosed with progressive aphasia and frontotemporal dementia. Um, the same thing Bruce Willis has. The two-part question here. One... I mean, uh, I don't know how well you know her personally. It seems like she's a big fan of yours. I know her very well. So uh, what's your personally. what's your take on on this whole situation health-wise for her? And then the second part of my question, Lifetime is being criticized for, I guess, and they, making— And they should be. Uh, so people be are unfamiliar criticized. with the story. They've been criticized for doing basically a documentary series where they're documenting her uh, descent into dementia and really not looking— all together, well, not sounding coherent at all. Uh, at one point, I didn't watch any of it, but I was reading I a did. description. I did. Um, she's uh, downing a whole bottle of vodka, and she's just. She sounds like she's a mess. Give me your take on her, what she's going through, and the media coverage from Lifetime.
2: Well, when when you're Wendy Williams, it's tough because you don't know who you can trust. And uh, Wendy and I uh, would talk almost every day privately. And um, times when she cried, times when she was happy. Um, we've talked about Kevin, her ex husband. We've talked about her son. We've talked about some some private things. How would
1: you get to know her initially?
2: We- that that I I met her through a friend, and and we just hit it. She, Wendy had me on her show, mm-hmm. and we just hit it off. And and you know. She would, it's tough being her. So like, for example, here's the only thing I'll say about our private conversations, right? Because I'm not going to stab a friend in the back while they're down. I I don't, I don't get down like that. Um, One of the things that really bothered Wendy when we would talk, and she talks just the way you and I talk, but with much more colorful language, cursing. And um, one of the things that bothered her was, for example, the criticism in the black community, that she wasn't doing enough and she would say things to me and she would use colorful language. And, um, I'm not going to say the terms, but she would say I do more than, you know, and she would go through a litany and say exactly what she's done. That bothered her, but she can't show that publicly. Mm -hmm. When you're at her level, you can't, you never let your enemy see you sweat. What lifetime is doing is disgusting. They are, Wendy is, um, she's not well, Right now. I haven't talked to her in about a year and a half, right? And she's not well. And what they're putting on television, let's cut through all the nonsense. I almost said something else. They are, for ratings, they're putting on television the demise of a human being. And we're all, and I'm using my words carefully, we're all watching this train wreck. And in real time and we know how this train wreck is about to end and we're all we think it's great. And see knowing Wendy, Wendy is a show woman, mm-hmm. a show person. So she'll put it on TV. She, she, she believes all press is good press. You know, but it's not good press in this situation. She should not be doing the show now. I don't know what the financial, you know, I don't know what the arrangements are. Maybe Showtime is giving her a lot of money. I understand she's the executive producer of this. It may involve a lot of money. There, there there's a uh, right, maybe
1: she needs money for medical. Bills her, or something
2: because her money is basically locked up uh,
1: because of terms, this uh, divorce situation. Well, or? the
2: divorce, the divorce is over, and um, so, like for example, many of the things that she told me about her divorce that are not for public. You know, the things that in the first Lifetime movie, frankly, she sugarcoated a lot of stuff of what he did. It wasn't very nice. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not at liberty to uh, go into some of the things that, that, that he did to her. But if I spoke to Wendy, if Wendy called me today, right? And this how she gets down. The phone would ring. My cell phone would ring. I heard Mr. Carter what you just said on the radio. Who the? Do you think you? And then, and then she, you know, she. Sure. you You know, that's just who she is. But. It, this it, it, we are watching. This is horrible. What they are doing on Lifetime.
1: This is a train wreck that's about to hit the wall. I, I tend to agree with you. I haven't seen any of these clips it's yet. Horrible. Um, just to play devil's advocate, though, some people are going to say what this does is show people what going through dementia is really like, and maybe give a perspective to people that have never had a loved one go through dementia. Is there any value to this from that perspective? I hear you, but no, Wendy
2: is too. Okay, you see Bruce Willis, his family, they're not putting him through Mm -hmm. through this type of situation. Wendy's, I don't know if it's financial. I don't know if it's because she loves the media attention. I don't know if it's because she lost her show and she's trying to show that she's still the queen. I I don't know, but Frank, I, I don't see, you know, the way her eyes are and you could tell that something's wrong, you know, and we've talked privately for hours at a time. She's really not a bad person. She made her career off of dishing dirt mm-hmm. on gossip, major celebrities. Gossip, no, no. Right? She went way uh-huh. beyond gossip. She would talk about on the radio who you're who you're sleeping right, with. Right. right. I've seen that a little you're bit you're a on man, television. So for for example, Puffy. Mm-hmm. He tried his best to keep her uh Puff Daddy. I don't know what he calls himself these days. Yeah, P. Diddy, P. Sean, Puffy, Ditty, Puffy Combs, Sean Combs, uh... whatever. uh you know, so she made her name that way, but she she's a good person, but I, I I sat down and because my wife wanted to watch it, and it really and my wife was like, yeah, you and Wendy used to talk all the time for hours at a time, and and, and we did, you know. But and you know, I I, I just the so private they, side lifetime of Wendy, shouldn't
1: be doing this, and, no, and whoever's no. in charge of Wendy's affairs shouldn't have allowed it to be done.
2: Right, but see, but nobody's going to tell Wendy no.
1: <laughs> right, she got it. no no. Even you don't, if she's you don't suffering tell, from dementia, you
2: don't tell her no. Mm-hmm. Like like. So, like, some of her friends, I'd be like, yo, Wendy, uh, excuse me, you're not going to talk to me like that. And one of the scenes, the lady's doing her nails, and Wendy says, are you stupid? And the girl looks at her like she's ready to slap Wendy in the face, right? They take her to Asbury Park, New Jersey, where she grew up, she, on the block where she was born. She doesn't rem- remember the block. Yeah. The lady has to remind her. Frank, it's, I don't see any good at all. Coming out of this, we're just waiting for the next stop on this train
1: of destruction. Mm. Uh, well, that sounds uh, just awful. Dominic, thank you. I appreciate thank everything. You. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat again tomorrow.
2: Fantastic. Well, I, I um, like the haircut. Yeah, man.
1: you like those headphones. It's more like it. That's that's what I'm sensing. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm sensing.
2: Thank you. All right,
1: man. Uh, if you want to comment on this, I'm curious how you feel about it, whether you've seen this show or not. Is there any value at all uh, to showing someone, anybody, but especially someone that's a particularly well-known celebrity's descent into dementia? Give me a call. Let me know what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'm particularly interested if you have either suffered with dementia yourself or you've had a loved one who has dealt with dementia and especially this kind of thing at a young age, 59 years old, is there any aspect of this that is helpful or is this just totally exploitive? 800-848-9222, we'll get into that and a whole lot more coming up in uh, just a bit. And also, um, well, I'll tell you in a minute, I'm already a little late here. 800-848-9222, this is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: Clougar Mellencamp, Uh, this is a birthday bumper music selection from my friend John LaRocchia. John is a great guy. You might be familiar with him. He is a retired New York City firefighter. He was a firefighter for over 21 years, and he's been a stand-up comic for over 20 years. More important than that, the fact that he risked his life to help others, more important than the fact that he's a very funny stand-up comic... He started something called the Laughter Saves Lives Foundation, which is basically a comedy tour that raises money to help others, uh, others that are suffering with various diseases and all sorts of other elements. And it really is, he does a great job and puts a whole lot of time into helping people. The uh, Laughter Saves Lives Foundation It goes to support a whole bunch of firefighter and police-based charities, as well as certain individuals and families that have found themselves in serious need of assistance. That's all John LaRocchia. It's a labor of love for him, and he's a wonderful guy and a very funny man. So happy birthday, John LaRocchia. And uh, that was one of his selections want to do a, a follow-up to a couple of stories that we have covered lately. Uh, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Well, this was a story that I will say no less than a dozen. I'm not joking here. No less than a dozen people emailed me about because I had talked about it on the radio. Back in, I think it was, uh, I don't know, a, a month or two ago, I gave a commendation to Bobby, the world's oldest dog, who was 31 years old. I'm very proud to give it to him because uh, I am a dog lover. 31 years old. And in, in when he was declared the oldest dog, the family was shown with old photos of the dog, and villagers were backing up the story. Well, now, headline, Guinness World Records revokes title for oldest dog ever. Dun, dun, dun! This is nuts. Guinness has said that they're revoking this dog's title, um... This dog was purportedly 31 when he died in October of 2023. Well, Mark McKinley, the director of records at Guinness, said Bobby's title was revoked after an investigation was conducted in accordance with the record-keeping organization's review and appeals process. Quote, this is from a press release that Guinness sent out, and I'm a former Guinness World Record holder myself. I know how thorough they are with this kind of thing. Following concerns raised by vets and other experts, both privately as well as within public commentary, and the findings of investigations conducted by some media outlets, we felt it important to open a review into Bobby's record. And he said the investigation found there was insufficient evidence of Bobby's age. McKinley said the evidence submitted for Bobby's age was all sourced to microchip data, from the Portuguese government database, the probe found Bobby's microchip was installed in 2022 when Portugal did not require proof of age for dogs born prior to 2008. So the game's afoot, my friends, or should I say the game's a apart? Now, none of this is Bobby's fault, right? He's a dog. He, If they did lie about his age here, this is something that was done by his owner and nobody should ever th- should think less of a dead dog or any dog because their owners would lie about their age now unfortunately i am forced to temporarily suspend and retract bobby's commendation there is nothing that i want to do less than retract the commendation of a dead dog nothing uh, i mean i would rather not gargle with battery acid or get a root canal but other than that there is nothing that i would rather do less than retract a dead dog's commendation so what i am asking our illustrious staff to do uh, led by our producer matt blaze our news director matt blay uh, our news director noam Layden, And the entire resources of the Other Side of Midnight investigative team and the broader investigative journalism unit of Red Apple Media is we are launching our own investigation into Bobby's true age prior to his death. So this is not going to affect his standing with Guinness, but this will affect his commendation. And, again, this is for all the marbles here. We're going to do commendations in about (coughs) a little later today because people take their commendations very seriously. And especially for a dog who gets that good dog title emblazoned on him once he gets a commendation, we are going to look into this. If you have any information about the true age of Bobby, please email me. I will honor your anonymity. Uh, You can email me, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. You can also leave me a voicemail. We'll protect your identity. If there's any voice identification that you want us to play on the radio, we will disguise your voice. You can leave me a voice message at eight one six eight morano But we are determined to get to the bottom of this here. We don't take this lightly. The fact that they might have lied about Bobby's age to claim a world record I mean, I can't think of anything worse that a dog owner could do than that. Now, going to get to your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Maybe a month ago, we did the story about how there was some legislation in either Kentucky or Tennessee. For some reason, I am getting those states confused in my brain left and right these days. I did it on Friday, and I, I keep doing it. Anyway, but... We did a story about how a state legislator in one of those states, I think it was Kentucky, how they were putting forth legislation regarding incest between cousins. And it led to a broader discussion of whether or not you should be able to marry or have sex with your cousin. Well, we're not the only ones having broader discussions about this. The Economist did a huge story, and they're facing a lot of backlash because of it, but they did a huge story. Headline, Cousin Marriage is Probably Fine in Most Cases. So I read this Economist piece, because a lot of people wrote to me. I guess there's a lot of people out there with very attractive first cousins. A lot of people wrote to me and said, Look, there is nothing to suggest that you're more likely to have a child that's um deformed or in some or suffers birth birth defects or is in any way less healthy if you have a child with your first cousin. Uh you know uh, Tony was passing judgment like crazy. He strongly disapproved even Matt Blaze who Um, You know, it's very rare that he disapproves of any sort of deviant sexual behavior. He was even um, casting aspersions on the cousin fornicators. In any event, the economist writes, in some areas of the world, namely Pakistan, the Middle East, nearly half of all marriages are between close relations, so there's a lot of data on this, actually, much more than I re- realized before reading this piece in The Economist. No European countries ban marriages between first cousins. Are you aware of that? Not a single European country bans marriages between first cousins, although Norwegian policy makers recently debated doing so. Um, according to The Economist, cousin marriage is probably fine in most cases— This article states that the risk of genetic defects in children born to relatives is lower than previously uh, thought. The article also cites, and I'm not going to read them all, I'm just going to tell you. The article also cites experts who say that prohibiting first cousin marriages is discrimination. So here you have Tony Atwood happens to be black. From what I understand, black people have discriminated, have been discriminated against once or twice in American history. You have Matt Blaze, who's Jewish. Rumor has it that even the Jews have been on the receiving end of some discrimination time and again. And these two, whose peoples have been discriminated against before, want to engage in this sort of discrimination against you if you wants to marry your first cousin. Well, I have to tell you, and it's not because my three first cousins are all very attractive. They're all married, they're all taken, and as am I. Um, I will tell you, I think I am changing my tune on the legality of first cousin marriage. I am now coming around, after reading this Economist article, to thinking, you know what? Maybe there's no reason first cousin marriage should be illegal. And maybe the United States ought to follow Europe's, you know, path on this. I don't know. If you want to comment, you can. 800-848-9222. The Economist, by the way, they have been receiving a torrent of criticism. On Twitter, they were ratioed. You know what that is? That's when you get more responses than likes or retweets. It's It's really an indication that you've said something... Quite offensive. But according to The Economist, you are free to marry your cousin. And then the last thing I am going to mention in in terms of these follow-ups to these stories that we've been recently doing is we spent a lot of time on Friday looking into this AT&T wireless outage, how about 75,000 customers – by the way, some people are saying it's more. Some people are saying that it might have been as many as hundreds of thousands of customers – it's only 75,000 for sure but at least 75,000 customers were affected by this outage which lasted for several hours on Friday almost all no not almost all of them AT&T wireless customers do you think that they deserve any sort of compensation from AT&T for this outage particularly if it was as they're claiming a software glitch uh tony uh, take a break from your your writing a letter to the economist uh, and with all your anti cousin marriage hatred um do you think the are you an AT&T wireless customer no i'm a T-Mobile okay um do you think the AT&T people deserve any sort of credit or anything
2: yes they do what do
1: they what, do, what would you give them if you were in charge of AT&T um, now, they had maybe one day where their phone didn't work
2: cut their bill off like, by about 10, 10 or 15%
1: 10 or 15% for the month Yeah. Matt Blaze, what do you say? I think they should get some kind of, maybe a free month. A free month. You got to do something in order to get those people not to leave. Because they're thinking in their heads, what if this happens again and when's it going to happen again? You know what? I I agree with both of you. I think a a free month or even, you know, 10 to 15% off your bill for the month, something for the month. I think that's an appropriate uh, an appropriate level of compensation. Well, they are not um, doing that. Here's what AT and T is doing. They are ge- if you were personally affected by this. If you were personally affected, and I don't know how you're going to prove that you were personally affected. I guess you're gonna have to show a bunch of attempts to call people that were unsuccessful. If you were personally affected by this, AT and T is going to give you. Are you ready for this? A $5 credit, a $5 credit personally effect- for people personally affected by the massive network outage. This is such a joke. Have you seen your cell phone bill? They're tacking all sorts of fees on there, taxes, stuff from the phone company, stuff from the local government, stuff from the federal government. $5 almost gets lost. I mean, on your bill is somehow is probably a five dollar text message protection fee that you don't even know you're paying. Five dollars? First of all, AT&T—they are. I mean, I'm sure they're a fine company in terms of phone service. They're awful. They're awful. I have had or I've tried to use AT&T work phones before. They're awful. I said when I had was working for another radio station, they gave me a free, a free mobile phone. They said, do away with your mobile phone. You can save all that money on your bill. And here, use this for free. The phone never worked. It did not work. It was the worst phone reception ever. Whenever somebody calls this show and I can't hear them, I know they're on an AT&T phone. It is the worst phone service in the world. So, um... I'm amazed they have any customers because the phone service is so bad, at least in my area. Then they're outage for a day, they're out of phone service for a day and all they're giving these people is $5. No, I agree with Matt Blaise. Give them a month, give them a month or, or something comparable because as far as I'm concerned, $5 for somebody that lost phone service all day, it's almost, almost nothing. Um, 800 848 800 848 George is in New Jersey. George, what's on your mind?
3: Well, I take care of a woman who has, my wife, who has primary progressive aphasia. I've taken care of her for seven years. So I've become, unfortunately, rather expert in this topic. And uh, what, what I would say, uh, one thing, is that the, no one talks about the caregiver. It, it, and it's a rare illness. You know, there are only 50,000 cases nationally. So um, the caregiver himself or herself goes through quite an ordeal with this it's a it's It's an illness that can last from two to twenty years, and there's no indication of how long the person will actually survive at this stage. My wife, who was a registered nurse, she took care of a cardiac she was in charge of a cardiac unit she doesn't really know anything and she can't it presents itself initially by the inability to speak so Wendy williams. Is, mid, you know, sort of at the early stages But maybe even toward midway with his illness and There's no way that this should be publicized Without some kind of control over what uh, what she's experiencing You know, my wife will go into a grocery store I take her out as much as I can The biggest problem I have is that she can't do anything She's a very yeah. active person And she wants to do things And I can't think of things for her to do so whenever I go to a store or something, I take her along. We go to a supermarket and she'll steal candy while she's there. <laughs> you know, uh, there's there's uh, we we took her to the University of Pennsylvania for um, something called TDCS, which is where they put electronic uh, stimulus in the brain. And she did that over a hundred trips to Philadelphia for that. And it it tended to slow it, we thought, but there was really no great relief from that. But the the illness progresses, and they're in for a long haul. And if she doesn't have somebody in her life that really cares about her and can manage this situation, it's going to be really awful. Well, uh, she should not be in the press. Yeah.
1: uh, First of all, I'm sorry for what you're going through with your wife. I, I can't imagine how difficult that must be. If I can ask how old was your wife when she was first diagnosed with this kind of dementia?
3: She was sixty nine.
1: Sixty nine. Okay, so she was a relatively young woman as well, not quite so young as uh, Wendy Williams right. being fifty nine. So
3: she's older than the norm. The norm gets gets diagnosed at fifty ish.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Uh, So um, you think that there's no value at all to someone like me who's not had a spouse or a child or a parent that has had uh, dementia? There's no value in seeing someone suffering like this on television
3: in public. Absolutely. It's this is horrible. Yeah, I mean, the only value is that people become more aware of it, illness. It doesn't get a well, lot that, of research. Uh, yeah, that's money what
1: I think. Because the because it's
3: rare. That's what I think. Yeah. The
1: people that are saying this is okay are saying is that it, it, yeah. it creates awareness of something that there wouldn't otherwise be awareness of. But but you're saying that you don't think the value of doing that trumpets the I don't know. Uh, this is my word, not yours. The the loss of dignity in seeing someone so publicly. Become a shell of themselves
3: absolutely and and the you know i wrote I wrote a, a long essay I called it Chronicles of a caregiver mm. about this it 's nine pages it was cathartic, and i've shared that with a lot of people i've said you can distribute it anywhere you like it was it's a very sort of detailed description of the progressive stages of this illness for about three years of it and um, it, it it that that 's the way to put it put out this information i haven't quite decided how i can get it more widely read but it but it will give you a very full picture of this and for me it was cathartic to just sort of write i'm a pretty good writer and i and i got it all, all in a sort of and also it's a spiritual and you know spiritual description of what's been going on with me and with her mm. and oddly oddly our marriage got better it's better than it's ever been because of the sort of intimacy that developed, even though she can't speak and underst- can't understand what I say to her. So, so it's, um, it's not something that should be done in the sort of sensationalist way that, that the media is treating this.
1: Well, I, I mean, that makes sense. You're putting that information out there solely for informational purposes. You're not doing it, at least I don't think, to make money.
3: Absolutely not, no. It's not. Fortunately, that's not one of my problems. So, um, the, 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 But the, there isn't a lot of information out there that really treats both the, the patient and the caregiver on this topic. Yeah.
1: Hey, George, I'd love to read that essay. If you want to email it over to me, I think that'd be interesting uh-huh. to read. I will. Yeah, thank okay. you, George. Hey, best of I'll luck to you that. and your wife. Appreciate you calling <laughs> right, and sharing thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. 800 You know, I read an article in the Times, and I, I actually wrote this fellow's name down because I'm going to invite him to appear on the show. I read an article in the Times over the weekend about this fellow by the name of Townsend Davis. He's a writer and a lawyer, lives in New York City, very well known. His articles have been in the New Republic, uh, L.A. Times, Charlotte Observer, and his wife has Alzheimer's disease and he's still taking care of his wife and he wrote this very heartfelt op-ed in which he describes – now, um, his wife's Alzheimer's developed when she was just 51. And when she started to descend into I, – I don't know if this is the proper term to use, but I'll use it not knowing a better term to use – When she started to descend into losing her mind, she told her husband, according to him, to find someone new. So now he's still married to his wife, still takes care of his wife, but he also has a girlfriend. He lives at home with his wife, and he has a full-on girlfriend that he's romantic with. And I know it may sound a a little weird, but he, in, uh, the way he phrased it, it was very much in keeping with her wishes. And I'm going to invite him on the show to talk about it because these are issues that are very tricky. Very tricky. Um, and it's easy to judge when you're not the one in that situation, whether it's Wendy Williams or whether it's what uh, Townsend Davis is doing or whether it's what this gentleman, George, uh, just shared with us. It's tough. It's very tough. So um, you really don't know what someone's going through until you've walked a mile in their shoes. I know it's a cliche, but it happens to be true. Melvin in the Bronx, uh, what's on your mind?
0: Based on what you talking about earlier with Dominic Carter. Sure. Public behavior is public business. If you do not want to do whatever you're doing, you'll be out in the public, don't do it. Cause people going to talk about you anyway, anytime, and so forth, so far. Because on, the only constant that is change and the ability to adapt to it. So what we're talking about here now is critical. what's going on in the United States and North America, where you talk about um, the interaction between people based on a stereotype. Because this is built, the, the greatest capital side have ever seen on the banks of enslavement. Well, I, I, that get paid what Melvin,
1: I'm, a- I'm not even clear on, on what you're talking about with enslavement. Well, what does that have to do with any of what we're talking about?
0: Gee, hold you have a to but you did for one reason only. When the FCC were passing out a regular license in the 1920s, no blacks could apply. When the FCC would pass out... Wait, wait, wait. wait. I, wait
1: I'm here for one reason only? That blacks couldn't yes, apply? Sir.
0: But I wasn't yes, alive so in 1920. You're for fervent action due to a pigmentation analysis based on a stereo Melvin, Melvin, I, I don't you I'm know? not
1: clear on what that has to do with what we're talking about at all. I don't, e- I don't even understand what you're yes, talking yeah, about.
0: you did because you're getting a paycheck based on those who are, who are appointed to export others all right, who were well, denied the opportunity to advance.
1: Thank you, Melvin. Appreciate that. Uh, now that we're clear on that, there you have it. All right. I uh, I tried. I tried. You want to comment on anything we're talking about? Be my guest. Uh, Marrying Cousins, uh, the very serious issue of uh, dementia, the very serious uh, situation involving, um, you know, this uh, this TV show that's being done on Wendy Williams or this controversy over the world's oldest dog maybe not being that old. We'll get into it. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight.
0: Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. sign at midnight with Frank Marano.
1: Say This is The Other Side of Midnight. This is a birthday bumper music selection from uh, John LaRocchia of the Laughter Saves Lives Foundation. Hey, a special alert from for all of our Minnesota listeners listening on WCCO in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Do you know whose birthday it would have been today? Well, had he lived... This would have been the 98th birthday of legendary pro wrestler and promoter with the A.W.A., Vern Gagne. Everybody knows Vern Gagne is a wrestling institution. Unfortunately, he passed away about nine years ago, lived uh, to the age of 89 as tough as nails and a great wrestler and someone that was really quite a pioneer. You know, you want to know where guys like Hulk Hogan came from, Mean Gene Okerlund, Jesse Ventura, Eric Bischoff, uh, the Iron Sheik. They all came from the Minnesota territory, which was the AWA today would have been his birthday. So, uh, Keep that in mind, Minnesota wrestling fans. Additionally, do you know who the legendary Vern Gagne trained? Well, he trained everybody. But one of the uh, most notable people that he trained was the one and only... Get ready! Woo!
0: We are on tour, and we're doing it better than anybody else alive. Now, Buddy Landell, it's so hard for me to sit back here in this
1: studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year i spent more money on, on spilling liquor. liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made you're talking to the rolex wearing <laughs>
0: diamond ring wearing kiss stealing woo, wheeling dealing limousine riding jet flying I'm a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these
3: alligators down. Woo! Uh,
1: Rick Flair turned 75 yesterday. 75. Now I love Rick Flair. Rick Flair is my favorite wrestler. Uh, 27-time champion of the world. For some reason, the WWE calls him a 22-time heavyweight champion of the world, which is absurd, and it's certainly not fair to Flair. Yesterday was his birthday, 75 years old, 75 years old. Now, one of the many things Ric Flair and I have in common is I also spent more money on spilt liquor than I made in an entire year. But, you know, thankfully... I, my credit was still pretty good. I could afford to spill the liquor. Well, I couldn't afford it, but at least it kicks the can down the road a little bit. Um, speaking of wrestling, I finished, you know, part of my, one of the things that I've been trying, there have been three things that I've been trying to do with my New Year's resolution, and I've done a pretty good job keeping up with all three. I've been trying to read every day, I've been trying to exercise every day, and I've been trying to journal every day. And, you know, maybe I don't do all three every day, but I do, you know, I'm, I'm about five days a week for all each of those. So I finally finished the book that I was reading, Chris Jericho's book, which was... Chris Jericho is my kind of guy. He's He still wrestles, actually. And he is a, a world-class wit. And he wrote this book. It's about 10 years old. And somehow I got a signed copy to si- signed to someone named Ed. I probably bought it online somewhere. And I just finished this book, and it is tremendous. Now, if you're not familiar with Chris Jericho... For the last two months, Mick Foley has been doing a terrible job as a general manager, and everybody here knows it. He's been screwing me over, he's been screwing over my best friend
3: Kevin Owens, and he's been screwing up the entire show so i have made the list of jericho and i've put all my grievances against
1: mick foley right here and i'm gonna read them out to you right now starting with number one mick foley is trying to drive a wedge between me and my best friend kevin owens that's not happening ever let's go to number five like i said terrible fashion sense he looks ridiculous So it's a great book, um, and I do recommend it. If you're a wrestling fan, it's one of the better wrestling books that I've read, and uh, you don't have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy it. A lot of good stuff in there. Keep asking questions.